this evening uh, in, in, uh, under the encouragement of Pastor Steve to, in light of uh, our occasion, uh, though we have no magisterial calendar um, and uh, uh, that we recognize, we do recognize uh, the work of the Lord in uh, the event of the Reformation. And so this evening, uh, I'm going to be preaching on one of the tenets of the Reformation, sola scriptura. We all know, and I'm sure in this room we're well versed, that there are five solas of the Reformation. Sola scriptura, scripture alone. Sola fide, faith alone. Sola gratia, grace alone. Solus Christus, Christ alone. And soli Dea Gloria, to the glory of God alone. Now within this quintet of phrases, uh, there is further ordering, ordering recognized. Uh, there are material cause and formal cause. The material cause of the Reformation has been recognized as justification by grace alone. Sola gratia, through faith alone. So, sola fide. Uh, The idea of material cause is that this doctrine was out of which the Reformation was made. Uh, Oftentimes, my uh, children think that my material, that the money, I am the material cause of money, that I'm made out of money. Okay, good. I was afraid that was going to be too highbrow uh, for you guys this evening. The idea of the formal cause of the Reformation is our subject this evening, sola scriptura, the foundation upon which the solas are built. We would not know the other solas without scripture. The tradition upon which the uh, reformers and even the pre-reformers turned to scripture in order to guide them in doctrine in life is well worn. We know just briefly of men like John Wycliffe and his desire to interpret Scripture into the vernacular of his countrymen. We know that soon after uh, Martin Luther broke away from the church, he began translating Scripture into German. We know also alongside or contemporary to uh, Martin Luther was William Tyndale. We know these men sought to interpret Scripture or translate Scripture into the common vernacular because it was through Scripture that they saw the gospel presented. They understood the importance of Scripture alone. Carl Truman observes that the Reformation was certainly a movement of words, but above it was a movement of the Word, incarnate in Christ and written down in scripture. So this evening as we reflect upon sola scriptura and certainly we will be opening our scripturas uh, this evening. We're going to look at this idea under four headings. Sola scriptura as defined, sola scriptura as revealed, and sola scriptura as confessed. I usually am only three points, so I felt like I should stop there, but we have one more. Sola scriptura as useful. I didn't use applied, Pastor Barcelos. Useful. In light of that, let us 
beseech the Lord's help this evening. Oh, Heavenly Father, we do give you thanks for this evening. We give you thanks for uh, this meeting place where we may gather all together as an association of churches where we have common confession. We thank you for the blessing of your word. We pray, Lord, that as your word is preached, that it would go forth under the power of your spirit so that we would not just be hearers of your word, but doers also. May we do this all to your glory alone. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, as we work down our outline this evening, we're going to see that uh, my first heading is Sola Scriptura defined. And it's important. Definitions are important. And there's no better uh, way to define a Latin term than Muller's Dictionary. He defines Sola Scriptura as the concept that Scripture was identified as the principle of knowing our cognitive foundation of theology and described doctrinally in terms of its authority, clarity, and sufficiency in all matters of faith and morals. You see, the idea of sola scripture as it relates to the Reformation is it wasn't a debate upon the inerrancy or the infallibility of scripture. For Rome upheld both of those. There was no uh, uh, like current day, uh, day controversy of the difference between uh, a liberal who thought Scripture was uh, loose and could be altered according to culture and time. No, the Roman Catholic Church held to its infallibility and its inerrancy. Yet the disagreement between the Roman Catholic Church and the Reformers was such that it was on the basis of its authority. The authority of Scripture, as argued by the Reformers, rested in its divine authorship, not human testimony. It wasn't that the church established Scripture. It was that Scripture established the church. It was not for the church to lord over Scripture, bringing in its own traditions to alongside and be co-equal with it. It was for Scripture to speak for itself through the Spirit of God to God's people. And so one of the ways in which the Reformers were able to deduce this was Scripture itself. And so this evening we're going to look at Sola Scriptura as revealed. So Sola Scriptura certainly finds its foundation in Scripture itself. But more fundamentally, it finds its loci in Christ the incarnate word. John's gospel, if you want to open with me to John's gospel, the first chapter. That way we can uh, check the box of opening God's word on a sermon on the authority and sufficiency of his word. We see in John's prologue in verse 1, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of the world, or the light of men, excuse me. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. What we have in those first few verses of John's gospel is the beginning of all things, and even before all things began. 
And it begins with the triune God. It begins with the eternal Son. It begins with the unbegotten Father. It begins also with revelation. That there was a light that shines in the darkness, and there's darkness that did not comprehend it. The idea that uh, God reveals himself is foundational to who he is, such that he reveals himself to his people. John's gospel continues in that first chapter, in verse 14, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and he saw his glory, glory as the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. This eternal Son became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw His glory. Glory as the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is the revelation of Christ. This is the revelation of God in Christ. It is something deeply connected to sola scriptura, Because Scripture itself finds its scope, its direction in Christ. That which came before John's Gospel or the uh, occasion of John's Gospel in its history all pointed towards the appearing of this Word. The appearing of the Son of God in flesh. And so it would not be a surprise to us to find that Christ testifies of himself in John 14, 6, when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Think of that in light of Sola Scriptura. Christ is saying he is the truth. We find truth in Scripture, amen? Christ is truth. This we find testified by Christ himself. And then Christ does something with his disciples in John chapter 14. And you can turn a few pages over, if you'd like, to John 14. Because a little farther down in that chapter, Christ says this to his disciples. He says, I will ask the Father, in verse 16, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be with you. Again, he says further down in verse 25, these things I've spoken to you while abiding with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. This here is the incarnate word telling his disciples that they themselves under the inspiration of the Spirit will now produce new revelation based upon the appearing and actions of this incarnate word. The writer to the Hebrews summarizes it this way in chapter 1. These things I have spoken to, excuse me, in chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2 says, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets, in many portions and in many ways, in these last days, has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. 
Here the writer to the Hebrews is making a connection to the appearing of Christ and Scripture, such that the words of Christ would be authoritative, such that we could take them at, at, their, at His word, but also as we connect Scripture with Scripture, we would see that it would not just be the red letters in your Bible that are referenced here, but it would be all of the New Testament itself, for Christ had promised to speak through the Spirit to his disciples so that they would remember what he had taught and said. Paul again says in Colossians chapter 2, verse 8, See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception, according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. Certainly in, in our day and age and in our context, we would might say, don't take you captive by these empty deceptions and traditions of men or the elementary principles of the word, rather than according to Scripture. But Paul says according to Christ, and he's not drawing a dichotomy between Christ and the Word. He is pointing us to the uh, scope of Scripture, the reality of the Word becoming flesh. And finally, it can be understood by the example of the Bereans in Acts 17. We read that the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews now these were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word with great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. They were preaching Christ. They were preaching Christ crucified. They were preaching uh, the Gospels, the reality of the historical Christ. Not only they were, were they preaching this new revelation, but they were not putting it and hanging it out there in the air. They were very deliberately hanging it upon previous revelation, such that the Bereans could go and examine these scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. William Whitaker, a 16th century uh, preacher, argued that all doctrine is to be judged by scriptures and that the apostles preached nothing which could not be established by the scriptures of the prophets and did perfectly agree with them. We find no discontinuity between the coming of the word and the prior word of the prophets. As a matter of fact, they fit, they fit perfectly together in harmony, such that Paul and Silas could go and preach in the synagogues. They could use the Jewish scriptures. They could also preach upon the historical narrative of Christ's coming and the uh, meaning of his life, death, and resurrection. And they could do so so that these Bereans could examine the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. To see that it was according to scripture alone that they would come to understand their salvation. And I know this is a shortened scriptural case for the doctrine. And I pray that it's enough that uh, we uh, may go on. 
Because the Lord has established this doctrine in His Word to be mined by every generation in their day. He has done so. He has given us a deposit of His revelation in Scripture so that we may mine these truths by every generation. And yet, though it is Scripture alone, it is not us alone with Scripture. Because God has worked in providence through His church to establish agreed-upon doctrines to help her learn from the Historia Ecclesia. Consider now sola scriptura as confessed. Recently on social media. Is that something a pastor should say in a sermon? Anyways. Steve Meister is a pastor in the Sacramento area who many of you know. Well, he recently tweeted, it's out there for everybody to read, that our creedal and confessional tradition does not have more authority than Scripture, but it definitely has more authority than your interpretations of Scripture. And that, my friends, is the whole point. I got a hmm from Dr. Barcelos. Do we understand this statement? Does it make us squirm just a little? Our American ideals of independency just twinged just a little. I know it did, because it did when I first read it. But if we understand it correctly, we might see the harmony that it is with our creeds and confessions. We may not join with those that accused Pastor Meister of popery and his denial of sola scriptura. Because there is a question, are the creeds and confessions of Christian orthodoxy contra sola scriptura? If it is scripture alone, then what use do we have of these creeds and confession? We have a whole association gathered around common confession. Amen. Praise the Lord. Or is it that creeds and confessions not only agree with sola scriptura, but actually ensure it? Creeds are distinguished from Scripture in that Scripture is the norm that norms, while the creeds are the, a norm that is normed. We understand this to, to, to speak that Scripture is that which all things are compared to. The creeds are, and confessions, are a comparative thing. It's, it's based upon It's derivative. If it sounds like I'm having a hard time explaining it, I'll go back to Muller. He's helpful again. He recognizes that the Reformers and the Protestant Orthodox followed the understanding that Scripture is the sole source of necessary doctrine, distinguishing Scripture as the absolute and therefore prior norm, but allowing the theological tradition particularly the early tradition of the fathers and ecumenical councils, to have a derivative but important secondary role in doctrinal statements. They accepted the ancient tradition as a useful guide, allowing that the Trinitarian and Christological statements of Nicaea, Constantinople, and Chalcedon were expressions of biblical truth, and that the great teachers of the church Church proved valuable instructions, provided, excuse me, valuable instruction 
in the theology that always needed to be evaluated in the light of Scripture. Now, we're a fairly young church uh, in the grand scheme of things, and so we get visitors from time to time, and they find out that we're a confessional church because they say, tell us something about your church. And we tell them that, well, we're, we're a confessional church. They want to know what that means. And so we begin to explain to them the idea that we hold to the Second London Baptist Confession of Faith. They take, some, some visitors take a half step back. They wonder if we've overdone it, if we've overcooked the doctrine, if we've replaced scripture with traditions of men. And so it is very helpful, the ordering of our confession, because it begins with chapter one of the Holy Scriptures, clearly stating that the rest of what follows is based upon the Scriptures. If you have any questions as to what is contained in that document, you would refer then to the Scriptures. And so we too try to encourage those visitors, and maybe you feel the same. Maybe you question whether it is useful to have a confession as a church. Maybe you question whether or not it is in some way contrary to this idea of sola scriptura, that scripture alone. And yet, you would be amiss if you would not read the confession, see it confessing this doctrine of sola scriptura, And by way of confessing it, and by way of us holding to that confession, we ensure that sola scriptura will continue on in these churches far beyond any of us here in this room will be alive. I was encouraged uh, to hear of Pastor Larry Smith. Uh, He retiring there out at Sentinella. The heritage that he laid there will go beyond his days here with us. And it will be because he taught from Scripture. It will also be because he held to the confession. May it be blessed by God that we hold to these confessions, that they hold up to the light of Scripture as men much more studious and smart than I have have gone to Scripture, seen the wisdom found in our confession and continue to uphold it. May we continue to do that in our day. Sola Scriptura, though, is useful beyond our confession. Because what is encapsulated in chapter 1, paragraph 1 of our confession, is of much use to us. It opens with, The Holy Scripture is the only sufficient, certain, and infallible rule of all saving knowledge, faith, and obedience. It closes by saying, which makes the Holy Scriptures to be most necessary. Those former ways of God's revealing His will unto His people being now ceased. What encouragement we, would ha- we have in chapter 1 of our confession to look to Scripture as a sufficient Word of God. To look to Scripture and see its necessity for life and godliness. How useful that would be to us in our age. How useful it would have been to me as a younger Christian. For I was reading a couple weeks ago an article by Tim Challies, and he 
drew my attention to this blog post, and the title of the blog post is, What If God Doesn't Speak to Me? The beginning of the article told of an account that I have personally experienced time and time again, or had personally experienced time and time again throughout my late teens and into early adulthood. And that is, by the encouragement of Bible teachers, camp counselors, devotionals, and the like, I was told to listen for God's voice. I was told to go somewhere alone, to make sure you're quiet, to make sure you've uh, sufficiently prayed, to be prepare yourself for this opportunity for God to speak to me. I was to hear his voice, and if I didn't hear his voice, maybe I was to sense it. If I wasn't to sense it, then I could only conclude that I wasn't conjuring it well enough. Well, much like the author, I was told that believers should regularly hear from God. That prayer isn't meant to be a lecture, but a conversation. To participate, we need to listen. Every prayer ending with, I'm ready to listen, God. Speak to me. And though I listened in silence, he never spoke. The author was told that patience was needed so that God could freely speak. The author recounts that it seemed everyone else heard from God, youth leaders, friends, conference speakers, pastors, and older people, people that uh, the author looked up to. They had an intimate relationship with him. He was always nudging and whispering to them and filling them more with his, excuse me, with his spirit. You can imagine how discouraging that is. Maybe you have experienced the same encouragement through the life of your Christian walk. I want us to draw encouragement to see the usefulness of this doctrine of sola scriptura this evening as it relates to this understanding of God speaking. When we seek to hear from God outside of his infallible and inerrant, out of his, outside of his sufficient and necessary word, we cut against the sufficiency of Scripture and the necessity of Scripture. As to the sufficiency of Scripture, if we're seeking to hear this whisper or nudge, I, I just want to know what God's will is for me. And by that I mean I need to know if the next decision I make is going to prosper or it's going to fail. I want to divine God's secret decreed a will. And then oftentimes we're told by those with the best intention that we can do that. My question that I would ask you is, what do you need to know that isn't contained in Scripture that the Holy Spirit overlooked in moving the biblical authors to write down every necessary word? Has God left out any necessary word in His word for you to live according to His will? May it never be. Many accuse such stance as limiting the Spirit of God. But I say, and I've come to learn by God's grace, that the reading of Scripture by the one who possesses the Spirit sets the Spirit ablaze, making alive and active the Word of God. I believe it's R.C. Sproul who says, if you want to hear the Word of God, read the Scripture out loud. Scripture is also necessary for all life 
and godliness? What do you need to know that will be necessary for your life that can't be accessed by diligent study of God's special revelation? Some people wait for a peace or an impulse or a nudge. What use is Scripture then? If you only need a feeling of peace, a whisper or a nudge, what use is Scripture then? It's of secondary use at best. Certainly this doesn't align with sola scriptura. Let us not forget that the Belgic Confession asserts in Article 7, for all human beings are liars by nature and more vain than vanity itself. Therefore, we we reject all our hearts, everything that does not agree with this infallible rule. And what Scripture reveals in Jeremiah 17, the heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? John Owen is quoted as saying, if private revelation agrees with Scriptures, then they are needless. If they disagree, they are false. Let us understand that when we go to the Lord and hear from Him, we put Him to the test against His Word. Let us be encouraged to the deposit we have in the Scriptures of God. That we would have not life's manual like I have for my vehicle, where I can go to this reference and that reference and learn how to do this and that. But we do have a guide for our lives whereby the Lord, by, through His Spirit, blesses our reading of His Word to guide us in this pilgrimage. The Ten Theses of Bern of 1528 state, The Holy Catholic Church, whose sole head is Christ, has been begotten from the Word of God, in which also it continues, nor does it listen to the voice of any stranger. J.V. Fesco explains, in other words, the Bible itself is not a dead letter, a book containing dusty propositions to be affirmed or denied. Rather, the written Word is a vehicle or instrument for the Word of God by which He continually speaks to the church. Amen? Let us not look or listen for new special revelation, but look to Christ our Lord, who is the Word made flesh, and who has been revealed in His Word and by His words in Scripture. Let us rejoice in our risen Lord who continues to guide and speak to His church through the Spirit, making alive the Scriptures to us. Let us hold the Sola Scriptura today and until the day of days, so that we may be found steadfast in our confession. May the Lord bless the preaching of His Word. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank You that You have given us Your Word. What encouragement we draw from it to understand that it proclaims itself to be Your very breath. Oh Lord, how powerful is your word to us made alive by the Spirit. As we read your word, help us. As we pray to you, help us. The Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And we seek no other authority but that which comes from you. We thank you, Lord, and we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.